Hey everyone, Brad Souza here, CTO of AVI Systems. And I get it, we talk about return to the office like a lot. And quite honestly, we should. It's one of the biggest challenges we face and the organizations that we serve, well, they're asking us to help them solve this big issue. Now, I think it takes more than just the worker to create a successful return to the office strategy. I even think it takes more than just amazing text, if you can believe I actually said that out loud. What if I told you that, that this problem that we're solving isn't just about the office? What if it's about how smart the city is, how connected the city that my office is in, and how that connectivity can profoundly impact the success or failure of our return to the office plan? Well, today on Ice on Impact, we have joining with us Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal, who has insights to this conversation that will absolutely blow your mind. Jonathan's a world leader and author and speaker on the topic of smart cities. He's a professor at the University of San Francisco, the CEO of Human Future, a business that helps focus on innovation and tech and focus on smart cities. The conversation that we had with Jonathan earlier today, quite honestly, caught me by surprise. So I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. But before I do, I wanna share our thanks with Logitech, a UC and tech partner that has helped us deliver on return to the office strategies that have made a huge impact for our customers. So thanks Logi for partnering with us and for sponsoring Eyes on Impact today. So get ready for an unexpected conversation about smart cities, innovation, leadership, and human impact. It's gonna be amazing. So let's get after it. Well, I am excited today. We have Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal, who's going to be joining us, CEO of Human Future, professor, author, sought-after speaker. You're a superhuman in a lot of these topics. Jonathan, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited about having you with well, us. Thanks, Brad. I, I look forward to the conversation with you today. How about we start by, by giving people a, a peek into who you are and the different... Uh, maybe facets of your world. You're a CEO, you're a professor, I think at University of San Francisco, yep, is that right? right? And, and uh, author and all of this. How, how does this come together? <laughs> what, uh, what's the connective tissue between all of that? Yeah, it, it does look like a little random, but there is a thread that holds it all together, I have to say. I'll, I'll try to sure. share that with you. <clears throat> I mean, fundamentally, I'm a, I, I'm a technology person. That's where my passion lies. Yeah. At the, uh, the age of about 10 or 11 years old, I was writing software and I actually sold my first piece of software to a, to a, a gaming company. Um, <clears throat> didn't make a lot of money. I think it was like the equivalent of about $200 at the time. Uh, but it felt like a lot okay. of money for an 11 year old. Um, so I was hooked. Yeah. Yeah. I was hooked on tech. And so that's been uh, something that has continued to be a, a deep passion of mine. Um, you know, I grew up in Europe, but uh, emigrated to the U S so I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant here and uh, it's been good. I, I have, uh, to the extent I could, I, I have tried to fulfill the American dream and, and uh, try to uh, fulfill my entire, my, my potential, I think, which is, which is what that's all about. Yeah. And um, yeah. started off in, in Florida working for a big wow. professional services firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, but everyone oh, yeah. was like, you know, I, I, was, I was actually running a technology innovation for them. And uh, we, we had a lot of fun and I, I built a small team and I worked for some great clients and also delivered a lot of interesting insights and technologies internally but everybody kept saying to me you ought to go to silicon valley like that's where you'll 
be best utilized and you'll you'll make uh, uh you'll integrate with a the network there and um so finally i found a way out here and i i, I came to work for tim o'reilly up at o'reilly media and then yeah, oh, yeah 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 um that was that was neat uh, just north of the city of san francisco in in the, in the within the apple orchards of santa rosa uh, and then um <laughs> i had hunter call me and said hey would you would you be interested in uh being uh working in a city working for uh an interesting city doing innovation and technology and i think my first question was what city <laughs> you know because that was going to be a, a big determinant for me so it was a city of Palo Alto, birthplace of Silicon Valley. So it seemed like an interesting yeah. place. Met the city manager who turned out to be a, a really great guy and uh, somebody that I knew I would enjoy working for and with. And for the next uh, seven years, we, we, uh, we, and we're going to talk about this, I think, today. Uh, we we yeah, explored yeah. the possibility of how can you deliver not just government, but city services in a completely new way in a world of awash in technology and data. Um, and then just a few years ago, uh, you know, I, I did everything I wanted to do there. But and, and what I was doing was getting, I got a lot of recognition, myself and my team and the, and the city staff, what we were doing was interesting to other cities, of course. And um, I, I was invited all over the world to speak about our successes and our challenges. And finally, I, I decided, you know, I, I, I want to do this full time. I want to go, like, uh, I want to deliver insights and, and work with cities and communities all over the world, not just one community, although I, I did love that work. Um, so I started a company around that, as you said, Human Future. And um, so, I, I, so that's my core, but the, the, the connective tissue. So what, what is it? it? It is education. It is education. When I think about um, whether I was leading teams, building my own business, working with clients, or, you know, obviously being a, a university professor or a writer, I also have written many books. Um, it, it's education which strings it all together. I love to teach and I love to learn, which you, happens when you're teaching. I uh, lo love working with clients and love working with uh, students of all types. Um, and and so so that's that's my journey now. You know, I, I have my own business. I, I have a lot of freedom to to pursue lots of different interests. But the, the core is education and the, and the topic is sort of tech in, in the broadest sense uh, of, of, of its meaning. Yeah, you know, so I'm, uh, you and I have, I think, a lot of things, a lot of passions in common. Mm -hmm. I love to teach. Oh. I'm, I'm absolutely curious about everything. I'm a technology innovator. Here's another thing that I think we might have in common. You, first of all, you have a, a contagious passion about you. And I love that. <laughs> and uh, one of the passions is really around, I'm going to quote this, leveraging technology for human progress. Mm. Our, our, our language around that is human impact. It's, it's not what does the technology do or what's the foundational elements of tech. It's how do people consume it and what, how does it change their life? I mean, that's, that's our passion. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to, to kind of focus on that? Yeah, so that that resonates a lot with me. Uh, you know, I would I would just add to the to, to way you described it as saying uh, I I want technology to be a positive force in the world, and that and that's what I that's what I focus on. Yeah, um, every technology has the capacity for for bad things, and bad people will do bad things with them, with it. Um, but uh, my orientation is um, to what degree can technology 
help to deliver a better human experience to the most amount of people uh, in the world. Uh, so, so children can grow up into a world that is abundant and healthy and sustainable, and, and that's good for the planet uh, too. I've always been interested in this uh, topic. I, you know, I, I, I've always sort of used tech and deliver tech with that mindset, but it got reinforced when I worked for a city. Um, you know, the, the fascinating mm. thing. Yeah, wow. yeah. Look, I, I, I've told this, anyone who knows my podcast or, or, or seen me, they know I tell this story every time, but it's, it's worth saying because it, it really is very much defining of, of who I am and what I do, which is, when I went to work for the city, my intent was to work with my team to deliver uh, a better experience and to, to change the city in a very positive way. And I think we did that. I can pr later on perhaps provide some examples. Sure. But the, that was not the takeaway. That was not the big thing that happened. The big thing that happened was this experience changed me. And, and that's what I walked away with, what was this idea that... Um, I didn't realize the role of cities in the world, uh, it, it being the central context for the future, uh, the central context for humanity in the 21st and 22nd century, uh, uh, all things being being equal. Um, so as I sort of got deeper and deeper, I, you know, I thought, hey, I'm going to be a technology guy in a city. Uh, I'm going to you know, do your typical CIO stuff, run a data center. We'll have databases and email and uh, you know, uh, wireless and, and everyone will get laptops and smartphones, all the stuff you do as a technology leader, basic stuff. Sure. Um, sure. But so that's, that is a big part of it. So, that, you know, maybe, maybe I would say 40% of the work is that. What I really uncovered uh, as I kind of got deep into the weeds was uh, the world of cities, the other 60%, um, that um, the, the, the most successful human machine in history is the city, if you think about it in, uh, through that lens. And if you're going to, for example, provide a, a healthier life, a more sustainable world, uh, more education, more opportunity, it's, it's really in an urban context. Um, and, and then you can ask the question, well, what, what, is, what instrumentation do we have to sort of affect that? Um, well, process and attitude, you know, there the, are the things you can, to some degree, bring to the table and control. But the big instrumentation is is digitalization. Is is what can we do in terms of tech? Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to spread opportunity and um, economic progress, uh, hopefully in a sustainable way, through the levers of tech. And and it's proving itself as I work with cities from you know uh, locally here in the Bay Area, uh, just south of San Francisco, right through to Eastern Europe and Australia and New Zealand and uh, South American and elsewhere. Um, so I, that has sort of amplified my interest and my passion because I want to make the biggest impact. I mean, that, that's, you know, when I think about yeah. it in the name of my business, a human future, how can I work with others, with partners and teams to have the biggest impact? I'm going to be a little bit sort of selfish and say through cities, through cities. And that, that's, that's where my passion comes from. So, so let's unpack a little bit of that. Let's talk about some smart cities. I, I've been involved in a number of smart community initiatives. Um, some of them, you know, way back in the day where I helped architect the first um, integrated network for education, healthcare, and public services in the state of wow, California. Cool stuff. So that was a really cool experience. I've done a lot of design and, and architecture around 
intelligent transportation and all these other kinds of things. Right. Today for us, the community, the definition of community is less about a municipality and it's more about a workplace. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Um, the changes in how people work has really impacted the, the economy of the urban environment. It seems right. Businesses, when people are not gathering in the city to go there to work, you know, businesses struggle and all of that kind of thing. Is this all part of the perspective that you have around the work you're doing in smart it, cities? It really is. It, it, it's such a great uh, point and question you're asking. Um, there, there's, there's few things that don't fall into the urban context. There really is. Um, it, it's all encompassing. I mean, it, look, it's, let's just think about some of the stats here. Uh, we are an urban world. We're like almost 60% of all humans living today on a planet of 8 billion yeah. people. We live in cities. So, um, you know, there's still people outside. There's still rural communities, which, of course, are very important. Um, but we're, we're accelerating. We're, we're, we've got about 3 million people moving into cities every single week. Our cities are, are uh, mm. natively growing as well. Um, and so we think by the middle of this you know, the century, we'll be up at 70%. And as we head towards the end of the 21st century, you're closing in on 80%. So we, what, whatever it is that humans do, you know, go to school, go to work, uh, play, um, you know, whatever, you know, get, get, get their healthcare needs uh, addressed, create, create meaning in their lives. Um, yeah. Just practically, it's going to happen in a city. So, so city intersects with everything and including sort of the future of work and, and, and what it means to have community. Now, I'm not painting some big rosy picture this second. I'm kind of more um, articulating right. the situation. What we do have are enormous challenges, uh, you know, phenomenal challenges um, that in many ways, if we don't address them, the, the trajectory is in completely wrong direction. You know, we, we can't keep adding millions and millions of new cars to, you know, roads that we don't, that can't be expanded or, or it's actually a law of diminishing returns. You, you, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to add more cars, you're expanding the roads, whatever, but it's really going in the negative situation. You got to reinvent, you got to rethink, you got to um, innovate intensely uh, how we address things like, like transportation, right? So. Um, I hope I kind of got to, to the heart of, you know, part, part of your question, but yeah. if you, if we want to talk about just the future of work, it, it is an urban question largely. Yeah. It's interesting to me. So, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll use the pandemic, not as a global healthcare crisis, but just as kind of a marker of time for a moment. And, and, and I'll say, uh, that, um, pre-pandemic the pre-pandemic, the workforce generally went to the workplace or the office because that's where all the stuff was that they needed to do their work. It's people had workstations and computers at a mm -hmm. desk, so they had to go there to, to do their work or the data was stored in a data center. So they had to go there or, you know, the people that they, that they did work with, that they had to solve problems with or build consensus, they were all there. But but today, today, all of that is actually here. Mm -hmm. And, and so the concept of why do we go to a workplace, I think has changed. I think there's a new relationship between, uh, the worker and the workplace or the office. And I think that that has a huge impact on 
the potential outcomes or trajectory of a, of a city. Do you, do you see a similar oh, thing? Huge, huge. Uh, you know, the, we're, so COVID is definitely uh, one of the historical turning points. Uh, we won't sure. know the full consequences probably for another couple of decades because uh, you, need, you yeah, need to actually right. look back to be able to understand what happened. It's much harder to understand it when you're in the moment. Um, sure. So I think what you described is, is perfectly uh, understandable. And, and you've got quite a few communities, quite a lot of inner cities in many parts of the world that uh, you know, continue to be quite empty, you know, a lot of vacant space. Um, not great if you're in the commercial real estate business. Uh, some communities, though, are, are, are seeing you know, a bit of a comeback, like San Francisco, for example, starting to get some good occupancy and, and, and companies are, are moving in and new companies are emerging. So, um, but that won't be like so many things won't be necessarily uh, the trend we see, see everywhere. But I would take your point even right. further uh, uh, in that, yeah. uh, yes, we, we, we were asking questions about where we work and, and what tools we use to work. Um, I, I think we're now asking what is work and, 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 yeah, and, sure. and the very form of like how we deliver it uh, time-wise. Um, you, you know, the, the notion that there are seven days in the week and of which five you work and there's two days that are the weekend, you know, has its uh, foundations in, in a different time, right? And, yeah. and that the fact that we still, you know, so many people in the United States and around the world start work, I don't know, 8 a.m., we're going to just say they get to the office and wrap up at 5, 30, 6 o'clock. Um, uh, why? Why? Why, right? Um, right. And, and so now you've got questions of um, what does it mean to work? Uh, you know, uh, is it, if I do the same amount of work in three hours, is that not good enough, uh, perhaps? You know, or, or um, should I work three days a week or six days? Like, why are we? Why have we been in such a fixed mold for so long? Um, and and this is not me just sort of like sitting at the end of a bar, just kind of musing on you know some interesting ideas. This is what organizations uh, yeah, are, are right. thinking about deeply. And, and and in fact, there's kind of a tension between uh, an older leadership and you know the new employees trying to figure that out. Like a new employee yeah. wants massive flexibility, but prepared to work hard and smart. Um, the older, the old guard wants people to come to cubicles every day, you know, for 40 hours a week, a minimum. Um, well, it can't, both can't exist in, and, and have, uh, you know, the same level of demand. There's got to be, there's going to be some sort of new form of that uh, uh, emerging. And you start to see, for example, companies saying, I think four days are acceptable now. You can choose the four days you work. Uh, a lot of companies are saying now, um, of those four days, you can choose to have uh, up to three at home or in the office. You know, uh, that seems to be yeah. where a lot of businesses are kind of landing is in the three days uh, you know, at home or in the office mode. Um, and, and, then, and then people are asking what we sold. So it was you know, people sort of saying, well, am I actually doing work that's meaningful or, or well aligned with my interest areas? Um, and that's created a, 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 in of itself a unique a workforce dynamic right now where you we don't have a match between need and supply. Uh, and that's, that's going right. to take some time to, to actually find itself too. So I love this topic. I'm so glad you bring it up. I absolutely believe that the, obviously uh, uh, the, the world's economics are driven through our cities more so than countries. That's right. right? The, the highest level of GDP production is in an urban context. And 
uh, the future of work, of the work we do, how we generate that economic activity in of itself is being redefined. So really uh, a lot of moving right. pieces. Yes. Yeah. So I, I want to share with you something that we think we're sure. seeing. And I wonder uh, if it has um, context to the world that you're in around smart cities. So I'm I'm talking about now smart workplace, the context of smart workplace. And and the the argument that we make, um, so let me let me define my community. So the community that we're connecting together is truly diverse. It's large multinational or global logos. And so we don't have a community that shares the same laws or the mm -hmm. same cultural values or even the same language, right? It's, it's not limited to a geographical location, which has really been a really interesting challenge. And so the way that we talk about it is, uh, can we create a workplace worth returning to? Hmm. Something that, that rivals what I have working from home recognizing that at any given time, a third of our workforce is not going to be there. They're going to be someplace else. And one of the things we think we've learned on this journey now that we've been on for uh, almost two years is that the worker uh, wants their idea of what the purpose of the office is to adapt to mm, them. Sure. They don't want to have to adopt the office or move towards yeah. it. They want the office to adapt to them. Yeah. yeah. So is, is that, is there a similarity in like smart cities? Um, well, I, I, I love where you guys are thinking and how you're thinking and where you're going. I mean, we need yeah. every type of idea and, uh, that might be sort of like that meeting place where the older leadership meets the right. younger employee, uh, right. with different aspirations and you figure out sort of what's the sweet spot if the, if, if, if such thing exists. That's right. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, so, um, if, of course, you've got uh, the tools have changed, right? And 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 we know for a long right. time now in a, in a highly hyper-connected digital world, uh, you just need a laptop or, you know, I, I'm hearing more and more people are just working on their smartphones. I, I can't do that, by the way. I have yeah. to have a laptop. Yeah. But I, I certainly yeah. have several colleagues who say they don't even open their laptop these days. They they run their work and their lives from a smartphone. That's you know, pretty remarkable. And, and, and that says, yeah. you know, well, what, what does it mean then to be in the office or to be in this smart workplace you're describing is, is that more about um, what I've often described as sort of like uh, kind of almost corporate serendipity, right? Where you being in the presence of colleagues sure. uh, generates ideas, creates uh, knowledge, uh, creates opportunity. Um, you, you know, one of the things that came out of this, all of us going home, you know, during COVID, uh, was 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 the loss of community uh, and corporate community. That's um, right. And um, this, this 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 was a lot of the conversations I was having. You know, I have to say I have a portfolio of startup companies that I advise. I think it's a ten to twelve companies, and I meet with them regularly. I meet with the CEOs regularly, and they're all relatively. These are new startups, like either just around a year or a little over a year old, and all of them got rid of their offices. Every one of them. Um, so right. pre-COVID, they all have they all had a little office. They had somewhere to go. COVID, they all went home and they said, "We're not renewing the lease, or we're getting rid of the lease." So they, and I said, well, "How's that going?" And so for you know this, for example, <laughs> the, people were hiring. A lot of people were leaving. A lot of people hiring. So the, the, these some of these startups with twenty people, twenty five people, like 
18 of the people were brand new. They hadn't met each other. They'd never actually been together in person. That's right. Um, so, That's I, right. so they said, look, we're, we're able to produce work, but we have no community and people feel no sense of belonging or loyalty, right? So we got to fix that. We, we, we can't throw that away. You know, if you throw that away, um, well, there's less meaning, I think, to life, less meaning to work. Work is such a big yeah. part of our lives. However way, whatever way you spin it, one hopes that you personally create meaning or the organization creates meaningfulness for you, you know, with your participation. Um, and so, you know, okay, you, you can, you, you got a very flexible tool set, cloud-based apps on a smartphone or a laptop, let's say for a lot of information workers. What the startup started telling me is they're at least going to meet or they will periodically meet in a physical location. Um, the ones that were very, very spread out. And then the ones that are kind of local, they said, well, we'll have a place that you can check in and we would like you to be in there a few days a week. Um, and uh, because we, we want the opportunity to be with you, to have you present and, and, and to work uh, uh, with you. Um, I think the bigger picture, perhaps the bigger picture of your question, sort of the intersection with how we design cities and think about the future of urbanization I think that's in yeah. flux right now. I don't know that we we have a full understanding. You know, wow. <laughs> we had a lot of people who, for example, said, uh, if I don't need to be in an office, because remember, people, particularly in the United States, live in a place, if it's not because they have parents or family or some roots there, they're in a place probably because of their job. They're in a, you know, they live in San Francisco because the job's in San Francisco. If you separate those two things, now you can kind of live anywhere uh, because you you don't have now the the the, um, the central motivation for where you live is now disconnected outside of you know natural roots or where you were born. Um, yeah. And so we had a lot of people move. They went from San Francisco. They wanted to pay less tax, for example, or maybe buy a, a bigger home in a low cost place. Um, and what we're hearing right now, it worked for a few people. A lot of them want to come back. They actually want to come home to the city. Right. They want to come back to the office. That maybe didn't work out. Now, again, it's early and I'm a data guy, so I don't like to you know, give definitive answers without supporting data. But anecdotally, I can say that uh, th this maybe is not the future. The fu Some people ask me, for example, um, you know, so Jonathan, you've been working on the future of cities for about a decade. And it seems like with COVID, nobody cares about cities. Everybody wants to live anywhere and outside cities. And I said, well, first of all, I don't think the trend is so big that it's redefining cities yet. And I don't know yes. that the people who are leaving are going to stay left. You know, if you move to a, a rural community somewhere in the middle of the country, could be absolutely beautiful. But if you were kind of living in Austin or Miami or New York or, or San Francisco for a while, you're going to start to miss that. You may need that. And, and so we have seen sort of like that presence and community uh, uh, come, come back to some degree. So I think we're, we're I, yeah, it's brilliant. as you and I speak in, in, you know, in the middle sort of late summer of 2023, I think there's a lot of unknowns, uh, to, but the only known is that there is some significant change in how we organize and how we work together. So, so I, what you said is brilliant and I love it. The, one of the takeaways for me is that the learning cycle has it is three or four times faster than what it yes. used to be. And so the unknowns that we're dealing with right now, um, they're going to become better known in the next cycle 
but that cycle can't, we can't let that cycle be five years or eight years. That cycle has yeah. to be 18 months or two years. And, and there's adjustments that are made along the way. I'll share with you that one of the lessons we think we've learned is that there's three reasons why workers want to get back to the office. Mm -hmm. And it's really driven around consensus, community, and experiences. Mm. Um, you and I can share information back and forth on a video call like we're doing today. And that's awesome. But if you and I were going to create something transformational for a, a city, I'd get on a plane and I'd fly to where you are and we'd sit down and look, you know, shove pizza under the door until we work out whatever the issues are and we'd bring in stakeholders and we'd build consensus, yeah. right? You, that consensus building doesn't work as well over yeah. video. There's something about proximity that drives consensus yeah. building. And, and in fact, there, th this I know has data to support it. Um, even yeah. even pre-COVID, when because we were we've been talking about telecommuting <laughs> seems like such an old word now sure um, yeah. um <laughs> the artifact of the 1980s or 90s telecommuting yeah um i think it's just work from home now isn't wfm um yeah and so the questions were asked like if in a world where you know uh you have tools like the internet and and uh, uh digitalization where you can work in groups but over uh, geographically spread areas. Um, what is what are some of the values of being in person? And 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 the data, and this, again predating COVID, was that if you're going to work on a project, so you, you know projects. By the way, you, you probably know the hard to get right, and and the failure rate for a lot of projects right. is, is is higher than most of us would actually like to, to admit. Um, That's if, right. You know, if you're if you're good you know, slick team with good experience, you know, you can have your better chances of a good outcome. But if you compare, you know, teams delivering similar types of projects, the team that started in person and then continued in other modalities are more successful at projects than those that right. don't form together. That's real data. That's, That's real data. Yeah. One of the things that we've also seen um, is that uh, workers, in particular younger workers, want to consume the office. They, it's not a place they go to, it's a thing that they consume oh, because there's an experience there or an expectation that they have of what the office is supposed to be like. And, and I, when I think about the smart city programs that I've been involved with, I think there's a correlation there. Whereas an example, the last transport smart transportation project I was on, nobody wanted to see the cameras or the sensors or the IoT devices. They just wanted the congestion to go <laughs> yeah. away. They wanted to consume the road. They didn't care about the tech that made that possible. Mm. Are you is, is that something that resonates oh, it, with you? So so much, so much. I'll, I'll give you a quick story. Uh, you yeah. know, when I was the uh, head of tech and innovation at the city of Palo Alto, um, you know, in every respect, myself and the city manager, we wanted to question every traditional way of doing things, as long as it fell within the rules <laughs> and all that, because there's tons of rules, right? Sure. Um, but there's some freedom within that. I, I was, you know, I, for example, created the uh, IT area and, you know, to, to, to look like, physically look at like a startup. You know, it, it went from that sort of stuffy kind of what you might imagine a local government looks like to looking like you're walking into a Silicon Valley startup. So physically we changed and then yeah. we changed the process, you know, 
uh, moving faster, taking more risks, using more agile methods of, of project management, where waterfall yeah. was the, the, the only way people had sort of said, we're sure. going to deliver government. Um, but one of the things I did was I, I had an open door policy. So I wanted to hear, and this comes from my innovation background, is I wanted to be able to hear all sorts of ideas from all sorts of people, have a really uh, uh, open door uh, policy. And, and people knew that. Uh, so, the, you know, word got around that, you know, if you, if, you, if you want an opportunity to get some feedback, just give Jonathan a call at the city of Palo Alto. He'll, he'll invite you in. Um, and, you know, one, one guy tells a story, one startup, you know, and, and I have great, again, respect for a lot of my colleagues in the government space. But he tells a story. He's a, you know, it was, it was a sort of a, over a course of a few days, he called various Bay Area cities. And there's about 40 cities here in Silicon Valley. And um, he went through, I don't know, 10 or 15. He, he, he got voicemail. He left messages. He sent emails. Not a single response. When he called me, I answered the phone. And then I invited him in on the same day. And he came with his team to my office. He said it never happened before. It was so completely different than any other government experience we'd had. So just shows you, it doesn't take a lot to sort of tweak the system a little bit and sort of be able to. Wow. But here, getting back to your question, I would have a lot of startups come into my office and say, Jonathan, we have a world-changing idea or whatever. And I'm, okay, I'm going to listen. And not every idea is world-changing. I think we know that. But some, some were neat. And I would give, you know, sort of say, nice idea, keep working on it, whatever, you know, or, or uh, yeah, maybe we'll experiment uh, together. And actually, I... I, for because I was there for seven years, for for a few years I was a little bit too nice, you know. It was like, and I thought to myself, by being too nice, I don't think I'm being that helpful, you know. They they feel good when they leave my office, but I I don't think I've actually given them the value of 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 the experience of of interacting. Yeah, is anything yeah, changed? <laughs> exactly. Or yeah. I work in government every single day. Here's the reality, you know, versus what you perceive the experience to be. Yes. So. Um, I'm, I decide, I don't know, like three, maybe four years in, I'm like, I'm going to give them the hard feedback. I'm going to give them the tough feedback. And I started doing that. And, and the reality is they did respect that more. The startups and the, and the uh, innovators and entrepreneurs who came to visit me started to actually find that very appealing. Um, you got to have some thick skin if you're going to be an entrepreneur anyway. Um, but, right. but here's the thing. They would often start with... Um, Jonathan, we want to talk to you today about our new IoT-based sensor system that collects data and produces, you know, these reports. Or, um, you know, the, the, it's an IoT system collects data. We put the data into a blockchain. We distribute it. And after a while, I was like, "Stop! Stop with the tech!" And like, <laughs> tell me how you know. Start with how you're going to benefit the community. Are you, you know, if, yeah, if you're so building good. a, as you say, a traffic system, don't tell me that it's, uh, you know, the protocols you're using, the languages you built the software in. Tell me. Is it going to reduce traffic? Or, you know, we were very much focused on um, Vision Zero, which was about reducing accidents to zero, uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, bicycle accidents, car accidents. And, and, and that's kind of a California thing. I think many other communities now have, have bought it. Right. Um, and so I said, I want to know that whether your solution delivers on that and, and, you know, show me the supporting evidence. And then I just started to coach them about, um, when when I get you in front of the city manager or the or the chief transportation official, I want you to start with that. And somebody's going to be I'm going to be interested eventually in the tech, you know, because I'm just that's I'm a curious guy, and I'm like, what did you build this in, or you know, how is it architected? Um, but for the other decision makers, uh, let's be real clear about you know describing it the way you did, which is does it make the traffic flow better? Does it reduce congestion? Does it reduce accidents? That's that's the best advice I can give to any 
company, by the way, pitching to a city or to any organization, frankly. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. It, what is it? What does it matter to the people that are going to consume it? Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the real thing. So we, we've been talking about innovation and technology through the lens of smart yeah. cities. I actually want to talk about innovation specifically um, because a lot of the people that, that are um, listening in on the podcast, we're, we're tech leaders and innovators on our own. But you talk often about responsible innovation. Yeah. And I'd like you to, to unpack that a little bit for us. What does that mean and how do you do it? Yeah, um, more important than ever before. So this topic is sort of like um, risen to the surface uh, uh, just over the last few years. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to be a priority topic for uh, all leaders and all technology leaders. I just finished writing yeah. um, a new video series uh, called Introduction to Technoethics. Technoethics. Um, and, and that's sort of an academic term for the uh, ethics of technology, right? If you hadn't figured it out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, in fact, when I titled the, the video course, it'll be coming out, I think, in the in the first of the year. Um, I did call it Introduction to Technoethics, but I realized people, you know, I need to say the ethics of technology and in brackets then technoethics so they, so they know um, what both the, you know, the, the plain language version is plus the actual academic word, which which may enter the broader vocabulary eventually. Um, but, it, but it was fascinating to, to, to write this uh, video series, one of the hardest things I've, I've ever done. I have been teaching it and talking about this for a long time, but you know, it's, that's a different experience than when you are forced to write it down and actually produce a, you know, a two-hour video series on it. Um, yeah. uh, and, and so I had to get it to the, to the heart of, of, of what's going on. I mean, there's some basics here, right? When it, when it comes to responsible innovation, and and by the way, I'm kind of, I'm conflating the two things on purpose. Um, yeah. Yeah, get it right? Awesome. How, how you um, how you behave, which is the definition of ethics, right? Is is the behavior of doing things right or doing things wrong, um, is ultimately sort of responsible behavior on on, on the level, right? So. When, uh, when, when I started to write about this, one of the questions that immediately jumps out is, well, why hasn't this always been important? Why, why is it more important today? Um, and, and I think anyone who, uh, you know, any of your listeners or viewers who I imagine a lot have a technology background understand that ro the role of tech has sort of moved from sort of the periphery to the center and that every organization today right. is a technology organization. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're running a farm or, or a funeral home or whatever it is, um, you know, at the heart of what you do is it's driven by, by tech. Some organizations, by the way, haven't recognized that yet and are kind of struggling. You have to recognize that you're in the tech business now. I don't know, you know, again, it's sort of for-, for so, so I'm going to step in on this because uh, it's crazy to me how many CIOs I work with that are at logos that you would recognize who believe that their role is to provide a utility to their workers, like plumbing mm -hmm. or HVAC, IT is a utility. And I just fundamentally can't get my head around that, right? So I'm sorry for cutting mm -hmm. you off, but I, I, I just really, really agree with well, what you're saying. Well, there's a transition. I mean, you've got to, you've got to, uh, the, the, I used to look at this when I worked in a city, uh, a lot of my cohort were near retirement. And so what's the likelihood that they're going to completely think differently about what they do 
if you're going to retire in a year or two years, probably not. It does require a new generation. It does require somebody maybe mid-career to sort of reinvent themselves. Um, sure. So I think you, you definitely see that with, with a lot of CIOs. And, and, um, and, 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 <laughs> and so it's also, you know, the, the, the CEO has to recognize and invite the CIO and the CTO into the C-suite and, and you know, realize that they're, they're, they're part of it. What, I, what was funny, I'll come back to your central question, but um, yeah. when I started the city of Palo Alto, it was like 2011, uh, and I left in uh, the end of 2017 or 18, seven years later, whatever that is, I guess, end of 2018. And um, uh, at the beginning, you know, the city had a lot of tech, as all communities do. Um, but it wasn't really central, uh, and it, it didn't work that well when I first joined. I mean, that was one of the big motivation for me being there. Um, by the time I was leaving, seven years later, there was not a single meeting or conversation about the future of the city that didn't involve tech. And I was at every single meeting. So even in that seven years, the, the mentality of the city and the role of tech in the city had had completely you know, transformed such that. Mm. If there wasn't a technology person in the room talking about some part of the city's delivery, whether it was healthcare, education, public works, libraries, public safety, uh, it wasn't happening without a technology person or a technology to support it. Um, yeah, and this is a nice segue back to the original question about you know the role of responsible uh, innovation. If technology is having such an enormous role to play, um, including its implications to the community, whether that's privacy and you know being a, mm. the ultimate custodian uh, of, of data that is often very, very personal, um, or it is about the consequences of the systems that you, you deploy, um, you know, public safety systems that sometimes are, are a little controversial, whether it's about using the cameras or, or again, data, um, uh, or, or other ways to identify individuals uh, like um, surveillance technology. All of these things have consequences that go beyond just, you know, how much does it cost and how long will it take us to build? Um, there's an area hmm. now consideration, a whole deep wide layer of responsibilities that all organizations have. Um, so we just can't sort of say, uh, if the technology can do it, let's do it. We have to say, can the technology do it? Yeah, can we afford it? Yes. And then the next question is, should we do it? Should we do it? So responsible innovation is all about asking, right. should we do it? Not whether we can. Right? Yes. Um, and uh, I don't think we ask this question enough. You know, in, through my work, you know, both researching my series and then writing it, um, the, the, really the outcome is everyone will acknowledge the, you know, the impact of tech and, and uh, how it can, how it can at some levels be life and death for sure, uh, but even can be uh, a source of controversy, sensitivity issues. Um, um, uh, it can be the difference between a good experience and a bad experience when you're interacting with some government service or city service. Um, I think very quickly people recognize this, but then the question is always, how are we acting? How are we behaving as a consequence? Um, and what is the model through which we should behave, right? Do, do we have a code of ethics? Um, do we ask the right questions when we're implementing artificial intelligence? Of course, that's the hot one. 
And that's where we see, you know, questions needing to come up about responsible innovation. Uh, because the consequences of some of the stuff we're going to do or are doing with AI are so no. consequential, right? Um, so yeah, so, I, so I would good. just kind of conclude by saying responsible innovation or techno-ethics, the ethics of technology, uh, are not um, abstract peripheral topics. Uh, shouldn't be sort of on a list of we'll get to it eventually. Um, I'm making the case day in, day out now, you, this, is a, this is a 21st century leadership competency, and it needs to be up there in the top five. You know, if you're obviously you're worrying about growth, you're worrying about having the right skills, you know, competition. Yeah. And your your ethics and your innovation, your responsible innovation needs to be in there, too, because um, you might get the other stuff right. But if you mess up on responsibilities, game over, your company will be canceled. Right. Wow. So, Jonathan, I told you earlier that when I learned that you were going to be with us today, I was like excited in anticipation what this conversation would be like. You did not disappoint. It's been a wonderful time. Great conversation. Thank you for giving us your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, no, thank you, Brad. Great, great questions. And I, I loved hearing your perspectives too, from both your, what you believe personally, but also what you're doing as, a, as an organization, a very impactful organization. So it's been a pleasure to be with you today. And uh, I've enjoyed it very much.